Well, I want to welcome you to the Hills Church at Home. In fact, I believe we have an exciting part today. I would so encourage you. I know I say this each and every week, but I encourage you to go to our website, hillschurcharcadia.org, and download the message notes. We are going to start this summer in the book of Revelation. So I've broken some parts down here at the beginning, and it would be great for you to read thoroughly chapter one to kind of set this all up. So the title of today's message is going to be The Revelation of Jesus Christ. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John. But I did want to read this one verse before we get started. In fact, he says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Now listen to what he says. In fact, he's talking about Jesus and he says, that which was from the beginning, in fact, Jesus will identify even himself in the book of Revelation as the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. But here's what John puts. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands had handled concerning the word of life. John uh, will write about that. In fact, he doesn't start at the manger scene in the Gospel of John. He starts at, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So 1 John 1, 9, he lets us know that he's heard, handled, listened, been a part concerning the Word of life. So Jesus, um, in fact, first came upon John, if you remember in the Gospels, John uh, and his brother James were fishermen, and Jesus comes up upon them as they were fishing, fishing and tells them to follow him. And we know that they leave all. In fact, they're with their dad. They leave all to follow him. John would be one of the disciples whom Jesus would pull closer uh, than the 12. In fact, there were three, Peter, James, and John. John was one of those that was pulled closer. We know that John was there at the crucifixion of Jesus because when Jesus was on the cross, one of the things that he wanted to take care of was his mother, Mary, and he asked John to take care and look after his mother, Mary. We know that John was one of the disciples. In fact, he wrote about it running to the tomb. Uh, they had heard reports and they wanted to be eyewitnesses and inspect and find out what was going on. But uh, we, we know and we hear a little bit about John's ministry in the book of Acts. Uh, we know that he probably was involved somewhere in the city of Ephesus with a church or so. But we know that uh, his writings were the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. But John is ultimately sentenced. In fact, really, you could call it he's banished to the island of Patmos by the Roman Empire, and his offense is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, I want you to, if you, if you can, this might be an odd uh, description of, of where John is. John on the island of Patmos reminds me of the movie The Last Jedi, and Luke, the Jedi Luke, his island that he's on is this rough island, uh, though his Luke's island is unknown, this island that really is rocky and kind of isolated. Well, 
that's where John is now. He's been really exiled to the island of Patmos. Patmos today is what we would know is located off of the southwest coast of Turkey. And it was known to be small, rocky, barren. Uh, and it was where prisoners were sent for forced labor. And they would labor in the mines that were down in the caves. Well, here's what we know about John. John writes the book of Revelation in about 96 AD. Some church history records that John was born uh, around uh, 6 AD. So apparently when John is, is getting this revelation from Jesus on the island of Patmos, around 96 AD, he's about 90 years of age. He's been exiled for preaching the gospel. He probably thinks his time is up. Nobody knows where I am. <laughs> Nobody can find me. I, I can't get letters sent, but here's what we know. Jesus wasn't done with John. You know, when, when I say that, I think it's important for us to remember he's never done with us. Just like he's not done with John, he's not done with us. So Jesus has a final message for John to see, to hear, and to write about. So remember, John will refer to himself in his gospel as the one that Jesus loved. Now, we think that's odd, but really what John was probably saying, or what, the, what we read in the original language, is the one that needed Jesus's love the most, or the one that needed Jesus's love, the sinner who received Christ's love. So Jesus is going to give John this revelation, and he doesn't know what he, what he's in for. In fact, I love my my Bible that I read, and I usually any of my Bibles that I read in the Gospels in the New Testament, I always look for a red letter edition. That's where the words of Jesus are in a red colored font. And I, I love that part to see where his words are. Well, here's what we know. We know in the gospels that Jesus speaks a lot. He teaches a lot. We follow along what he says. He does speak a little bit in the book of Acts. In fact, other places in Acts, he speaks to Saul. Uh, we know that we read about him in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians as speaking to Paul. But other than that, it's interesting in the New Testament, other than Matthew, Mark, Luke, who wasn't an apostle, and John, uh, that the Holy Spirit, after the Gospels, again, uses Luke, uses Paul, uses Peter, uses John uses James, yet this bookend is now going to be John receiving a revelation from Jesus about not only the end times and to come, but a deeper insight onto what's about to happen. In fact, here's what we need to know about the book of Revelation. Jesus has something specific to say, and he's going to say it John's going to write it, and we're going to start reading about it. So let's kick off in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Again, I want you to read the first chapter of the book of Revelation, but I want to pull out some verses. I want to set this up today. I want to give us a little bit of a picture about where we're going to go, especially these summer uh, Sundays 
as we study the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things that must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to the things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads it and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Let me read that again. Blessed. Here's how we know if we're blessed. We're blessed if we read those things and hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are written. So one of the things we're going to look at today, not only was this a prophecy, and we'll look at some of the letters to the churches, it's a prophecy to them, but it was also a prophecy to us because Jesus will refer to church churches, right? The things that are written for the time is near. So here's John on the island of Patmos, and he starts to get this download from Jesus through this angel and he's, begin, he's going to begin to capture all of this. In fact, he gets an image of Jesus. This isn't God the Father. He gets an image of Jesus. Well, he describes it in verse 14 through 15 of Revelation 1. Listen to this. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined by the furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. Now I put this in our notes. That sure doesn't look like what we think Jesus would have looked like. We, we pictured a, a, you know, a Middle Eastern type look, but remember this. And here's one of the things we don't know. We know that Jesus appeared after the resurrection we know some people didn't recognize him, but we read in the scriptures that he probably had hidden his appearance. Well, now he appears totally different. In fact, when we read that, we read his his hair, uh, his head and his hair were like white as wool, uh, white as snow. It describes his eyes like flame. But here's what we need to know. Jesus, when he comes again, he's going to come for his church, which we call the rapture of the church, the gathering together, being caught up. He will come again with his church to rule and reign on this earth as a conquering king. And that's that description that I believe that we see is as a conquering king coming. You know, we've, re we've read about Jesus and being humble and meek. He's going to come as a conquering king. And we read that. You know, uh, what I find is interesting is uh, how John responds after seeing what he saw about Jesus, and he says this in verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Now, I hear people say this all the time, and I think they, they, they mean it in good intention when they say, you know, when I get to heaven and I see Jesus, I'm going to go and I'm going to wrap my arms around him. I'm going to give him a big bear hug. I think what you're going to do is exactly what John did. You're going to fall down at his feet as if you were dead. You are going to be so excited is not the right word to describe what you're going to feel like. You're not going to high five him or fist bump him. 
You know what you're going to do? You're going to fall at his feet, humble before him. Uh, though you know that you've accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life, there's something about when you enter into heaven's gates that you think, I, I actually made it, I made it. You're going to fall at his feet. That's what we see uh, that John did. In fact, we'll notice this in the Bible. When angels appeared to people, they always said things like, fear not. Why did they say that? Because it freaked people out when an angel would appear. So anytime that somebody comes into that presence, it's that bit of falling down in that humility. And I think that's what John has on the things that he sees. Now, I really want to focus in on this verse today, verse 19. And excuse me for um, adding in this scripture, capitalized letter outside of the text. Uh, but I want you to capture this as we read it. Let me read it. One time through, and we'll go back through it again. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Write these things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. That's an interesting way for Jesus to say that. Let me read that again. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So here's what he wants them to write. Things that you, you've seen, write about the things that are, and write about what will take place after this. In fact, I think that sets up perfectly the entire book of Revelation. So let me break it down this way. The things that he has seen, we'll read about in chapter 1. The things that are, are going to be the churches in chapters two and three, things that are. And then after this, we go from chapter four, because John will start chapter four of, then I looked through chapter 22. But I want to focus today on the one things where he says, the things that are, or to the churches. I think this is so important in our day, right? The year of 2021, this is so important that we look at the churches, the things that are, what Jesus has to say. He calls out seven churches, and he specifically has a message for every single church, but he ends with each church saying the churches that have ears to hear which lets us know that it's also a prophecy to church churches. In fact, when we read these things, there's only seven, and there's only two, uh, two chapters that are designated to these churches. But here's what we know. There were more than seven churches. So if Jesus needed to write a letter, he probably needed to write a letter to all the churches. I can't even imagine if Jesus wrote your church a letter the things that he would call out, the humility that you would read, and the things that you would want to change quickly. But I find it interesting that uh, when we read seven, we read about the number seven all throughout the Bible. In fact, we won't go into it exhaustively, but we notice that there are seven days that God set up, right? Seven days. We know he rested on the seventh, but seven is the number that God seems to use all the time. In fact, when I read the number seven, I also kind of get a picture in my mind. It's you know a, a, a picture of being back in school and you took a test and, boy, you really hope you did good and you got it back and you got 100%, right? And you were shocked, 100%. You didn't miss anything. 
I always feel like that that's God's number, right? It, it's that number of perfection. So he's going to send this out to seven churches, God's number. And remember, the church age began in Acts chapter 2. But we know that there's a beginning and we know that there's an end of the church age when Jesus comes to get his church. But uh, Jesus wants to speak specifically to these, these churches. And I want you in your notes, and I'll just kind of quickly go through them. I want you in your notes, and you can actually look in your Bible, and I'll read some of these topical headlines above them, is we read about the first church that he writes to is the church of Ephesus, which we know is an apostolic church. Uh, Jesus refers to it as a loveless church to go back and do the first works. The second church is the church of Smyrna, which we know was the persecuted church. They were under great persecution for the name of Jesus. The third church is Pergamos, which what's interesting about this church, there was no more persecution of the church. Really, when we read about it, it's almost that now this church or Christianity is becoming the official religion of the Roman Empire, which will lead into more of Catholicism. And that's what happens in the fourth church, Thyatira, is we know the Roman Catholic Church starts to gain traction at that time. Sardis, church number five, Jesus calls them a dead church. And then Philadelphia, the church in there, is the one that really Jesus refers to as the faithful church, right? The faithful church. And we read those sayings, he who has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the, not the church, to the churches. But then the last one that he comes to, in fact, really that Philadelphia church, they are, they are trying to take the gospel around to the world. Interesting in these times. But the last church, the one that I, that I wanted to look at today is the church of Laodicea which um, we read about, in fact, uh, Laodicea is the church or the section of scripture that for many of us, if we've not read this before, but you've heard the saying, I'd rather you hot or I'd rather you cold, but if you lo- you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. That is used in this section. In fact, probably one of the most famous verses in the book of Revelation and a verse that we use all the time is we read about this church, and that's where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That he's talking about this church. Now, I don't have um, all of these on your notes, but I want to read this out to us today. In fact, I'm going to read verses 14 through 22. I want us to listen to the church of Laodicea. I think it's important for our day-to-day. And here's what Jesus has to say to them. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So that because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you, Jesus says, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white with and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Isn't that interesting how, how he says that? We'll look at that in a minute. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on the throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Now, some very interesting language that Jesus uh, used in here. In fact, I, I want us to remember this, what we just heard. There was nothing positive that Jesus said about this church. Think of that for just a minute with me. The church, Jesus's church. He is the head of the church. This seventh church that's being used, that's being called out here. The one that we, we remember the hot and cold, the lukewarm spit. In fact, he used that vomit at you out. He has nothing good to say about them. Well, let's dive in a little bit for a moment into the background of that area, which I think will give us a picture that when Jesus speaks, they're going to know exactly what he's talking about. We know this, that it was a very prosperous, not only city, but a region. They were also known to have not only banking, but commercial banking for the other, uh, the other cities and places in the area. So they were known for banking and for finance. They were known for their wool, especially a wool that was unique to that area, which was a black wool. They were also known for their medical schools, and they had apparently a couple different ointments that this area was sought out for. One was an ointment for the eye. The other one was an ointment for certain diseases that would be on the body. So this uh, ointment. They also had like a vast mountain range around. They had a river, but they did have some hot springs that were uh, sulfur enriched, um, you know, that were super, super hot. So it's interesting when Jesus says this in verse 17, because you say, and I want you to hear that today. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you say this. Here's what you say. Because I hear you, but you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. Isn't that interesting? Here's what you say. Here's your perspective, church. You're rich. You become wealthy and you have need of nothing. And do not know. Here's what Jesus tells them they are. You are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What an opposite. Well, but that's the hot and the cold, right? Well, wait, we're wealthy. We're rich. We don't need anything. No, you're wretched. You're miserable. You're blind. You're poor and you're naked. But Jesus goes on the next verse. He says, and I counsel you to buy 
from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich with white garments, that you might be clothed and that shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and, an, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Now, here's what I think. Jesus is calling out on that particular day the things that they would have known that were important in their community and industry. Jesus calls them out in a very spiritual sense to say, you think you're rich and wealthy and have need of nothing? Here's the truth. You're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. You say you know me, but you don't know me. Think of that. That's a church. You say you know me, but you don't know me. And so Jesus is speaking to, here's the description of that church, a lukewarm, we use the word apostate. Really, the word apostate is a, a bigger word for the word falling away, unbelieving church. So here's what Jesus says. You say that you're rich. You have no need of anything. Everything's going good. Look at us. Man, we're moving along. We're just, we're, we're cranking. Jesus says, you are? Here's what I see. Here's the fruits that I see. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. <clears throat> and he says, you're lukewarm. You're having a falling away. It's an unbelieving church. You're not focused on the things you should be focused on. Well, that's a powerful description. In fact, Jesus uses these things. And I think when he speaks to the churches, I think that he's speaking to the churches even of today. That we look at, <clears throat> excuse me, we look at things from our eye view to say how we're doing when Jesus looks at it on a whole different scale. And we can't be the you say and because of this and because of that. We've got to do what he says to do. In fact, we know this. We know that in the very last days that the falling away takes place. We also know that there are um, churches that are unbelieving churches. We know that there are people that are lukewarm, that it's like a form of godliness, but it's actually lacking the power itself. You know, the Apostle Paul mentioned this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless a falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. He says this again in Timothy, in 1 Timothy. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrine of demons, speaking lies of hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidden to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So the Apostle Paul was even saying, that remember, he's talking about the church. Believers, there's a falling away. You know, we talked about this early on uh, when we were looking at end times, 
that even some of the headlines today that the church cannot escape some of the headlines today of uh, whether it's misconduct, people walking away. There's so many things going on. And what Jesus wants to do is, is not for us to focus on the things that we think are good. Focus on the things that he sees. It's interesting that he's coming for a glorious church. In fact, I talked about that uh, a few weeks ago. He's coming for ones that um, come to him daily, check and scrub their heart and their soul. Come, come to him to know that we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And it's interesting, the very last church, the seventh church that Jesus has a message for is a lukewarm church, and he uses the word, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. That doesn't represent, that church did not represent Jesus well. What you say and what I see are two different things. And I, I really feel that of all of the ages of the church, that the church, even around the world, can fall into this because we are blessed today with opportunities that we didn't have 15, 20 years ago in our society and even in our churches. The opportunities to do the outreach, the opportunities, the things that we need to do, the whether it's buildings or uh, decor, sound, you know, all of the, the parts that we use. But our dependence should never be on the things that we think help enable us for ministry. When we go back to the early church, they had nothing to use. But what they had was they had Jesus. You know, it's Peter and John at the gate, beautiful. And, and uh, we know we read about that probably that this guy was uh, lame when Jesus was there and he calls out to them for sil silver and gold. And you possibly know the story and they say silver and gold I don't have, but here's what I have in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. What I love about that story is they take this guy with them for uh, um, places that they speak and things that they do to show what God did. Notice what they didn't have the things that sometimes we have today, but what they had and what they recognized is they had Jesus, the real thing, the true thing. Because in these last days, Jesus has something to say. Jesus sees everything. You know, we have to remember God is still on the throne. He is watchful of everything that is taking place on planet Earth. He has a plan. No man knows the hour when Jesus is going to come back, only the Father. But Jesus came to John on the island of Patmos, when, when he didn't have an opportunity to go minister in different places to give him a message. And part of that first message was to churches on things that they were doing well and things that they needed to change. And this last particular one, number seven, the lukewarm church, there was much to change. And I often wonder if this was the example that we need to see in that day that he says, hey, I'm standing at the door knocking, let me in. Allow me to make those changes and fall by what, go by what I see, not what you see. You know, because what we see, you know, the mirror can lie to us. Many times the mirror lets us uh, look at the mirror and the mirror can show that things look good or the mirror also doesn't lie to us. 
But Jesus wants to speak specifically to us in these days to shape us up, to strengthen us, to allow us to reach out, to be like that church, the church that was reaching out, that was evangelizing out, that had a mission on their heart to get the message out and to know that we are living in these unusual times. And the Apostle Paul, in fact, let me mention it again, the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron and forbidden to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who know the truth. You know, so as we dig in and we start to read the book of Revelation, let's look at it first with not looking at these end time events, dragons and uh, conquering kings and the scrolls. But why don't we start first with examining ourselves? You know, it's interesting that um, whenever a church might meet, we know churches meet all throughout the week, evenings, days that that doesn't mean that everybody that comes into the church is a Christian. In fact, what's important to know is that everybody has the opportunity to be a Christian. That's what matters. Jesus has a message. He has a message to the church of the things that are going to come. This is the revelation of Jesus. These are his last words. In fact, he ends it in chapter 22 with the words, surely I am coming quickly. And I said it last week. I'll say it again. We have to live our life as if Jesus is coming back any moment. But we plan as if he'll take 100 years. We have to be ready for him. We have to make the necessary changes. We don't want to be like that Laodicean church that we think and we say that everything is going good and that Jesus looks at it and he's got, he really sees what's going on. You know, Jesus sees what's taking place on the earth today. Jesus sees the alignment of nations. Jesus sees, in fact, we see it and we recognize it, uh, whether it's lying, whether it's uh, misinterpreting the truth, whether it's fabrication of stories, uh, whatever is taking place that becomes even a concern, Jesus is fully aware but Jesus is our hope and he is our strength. And if you've never made him Lord of your life, or if you've been running from him, today is the day to come back because our days and our times are short and Jesus has something to say. And I want you to pray this prayer with me, the most important prayer that you'll ever pray in your walk with him. Pray this with me. Dear God, I believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for me, and I confess and accept Jesus as my Lord and the Savior of my life. I confess and I thank you for forgiving me of all of my sins, and today I begin my relationship new with you. In Jesus' name, amen. In our notes, Uh, In the book of Matthew, you'll find uh, the communion verses. And I encourage you, if you're watching with a family by yourself, maybe you're catching up to this a few days later, a week later, I encourage you to stop and to take time 
and to come before communion, the Lord's Supper, as you take the bread and break the bread and drink the cup and look at your life and allow the life of Jesus to impart life into you. Isn't that what we started with? In fact, I'll start, I'll go back to that verse in 1 John 1 verse, or 1 John 1 verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That as you receive communion, that you remember that you are handling, seeing the things that Jesus is doing and saying today, and that we all make the adjustments, that we all come before him, that we all have our hearts open to him, that we're not saying something different than what he sees. Remember, it's the humble that he exalts, not the proud. We know that those, the pride, they always stumble and fall. The humble are the ones that get exalted. Well, as we receive our tithes and offerings today, I want to read this one verse. It says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Notice what it starts with. Delight yourself also in the Lord. First and foremost, that our heart and our delight should be the Lord. Because anything after that, we'll do what he says. And he says that he'll give you the desires of your heart because you first delight in him. And that's what giving is. Giving is giving him the first, delighting in him the first, trusting in him the first. I don't know what tomorrow holds next week, the week after that, but I know today I delight and I trust in him because I know he's there tomorrow and he's promised to be the one that provides for me. You know, there's a song out right now and it said, and it talks about, you know, the sparrow's not concerned about its food or tomorrow. The, the lily of the field isn't concerned about what it wears. That's what Jesus said, because the father takes care of them. The father is aware when a sparrow falls. How much more is he aware of you in your life? Pray this with me, would you today? As I give in today's offering, I give because God first gave to me. God has given me his love and forgiveness. He gives into my life even when I don't deserve it. I give with thankfulness out of what God has already given to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yo, you can go to our website, hillschurcharcadia.org, and give online. You can click on the Give button on the top right screen. It's fast, safe, and secure. You can also give by mail. You can write to us at the Hills Church, P.O. Box 661419, Arcadia, California, 91066. Hey, if you're in the Arcadia area on Sundays, we are uh, gathering in person at 10 a.m., but we love our online community and family, but I encourage you to do this. If you accepted the Lord, if you need prayer, if you want to stay in touch with our uh, weekly, we send out an email, which I always tell everybody, you can always unsubscribe. You're not signed up for life. Like it seems like we add something and all of a sudden we're slammed with email. We don't do that. But if you'd like to stay in communication, you can email us info at hillschurcharcadia.org. Go to our website. 
you can click on the contact information and connect with us as well. We'd sure uh, encourage you to do so. The Lord bless you. Have a great week. Say this with me, Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I look up the hills, but where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord bless you. Have a great day.